Welcome to Chaintech, the show and podcast focusing on the latest trends in supply chain, procurement, and logistic technology. My name is Max Henry from the Global Supply Chain Council, and together with my co-host and special guest, we explore the personalities, startups, innovators, and industry players driving disruption in supply chain. From early stage to unicorns, and from cutting-edge technology to the people using it to help drive more innovative, agile, and resilient supply chain around the world. This is Chantech. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Chantech. I'm your host, Max Henry, from the Global Supply Chain Council. And today we're going to continue exploration of different uh, chain tech, lock tech, and procurement company. And uh, I want to, again, before I introduce you to our founder, uh, which uh, our guest speaker today, I want to uh, remind you of some uh, of your website property that we have around chain tech. The first one is our chaintech.net, which is, as you know, a curated marketplace of, you know, the different startup company across Asia. And of course, if you are interested to hear and listen to the previous episode of the show, you can go to chantech.show. So today I'm joined by Sean O'Malley, who is a co-founder and CEO of BlueX. Hi, Sean. How are you? Hi, Max. How are you doing? Okay. So as we get started in our interview, I want to uh, maybe start with you, uh, your background a little bit, understand where you come from. Uh, so maybe tell us, you know, uh, who you are and where did you grow and maybe where did you study earlier? Yeah, no, th- uh, thank you. Um, uh, well, my story is really, uh, really early on uh, growing up in Silicon Valley. Um, I uh, was uh, grew up in a family of, of entrepreneurs and uh, who, who were technologists. And, and eventually that led me to um, uh, attend Stanford, their business school. Um, and this was back in uh, the, uh, the late nineties where, uh, you know, the tech startup scene was, uh, super vibrant. Uh, I, I ended up taking a number of different entrepreneurial classes at Stanford and really fell in love with it there. Um, but that really led me on to think about, uh, you know, how you apply technology to the finance world and, uh, led me to really starting up one of the largest, uh, uh, small business SBA technology companies and marketplaces uh, in the U.S. Um, but really, I, I, I was really in love with uh, entrepreneurialism uh, and, uh, and, and, and certainly um, kind of that, that led me to Blue Axe eventually. Um, so how many years have you worked with other companies before you actually started Blue Axe? So I, I think uh, I'd been... Uh, uh, about 15 years, uh, sort of uh, a serial entrepreneurial. Um, the last company I started was a company called SmartBiz, uh, which uh, is now the largest marketplace for small business SBA loans. Uh, and really, the, in the fintech space, I got very interested in, um, at, you know, a, a, after SmartBiz in, in more global applications of finance. And that led me to really looking at trade finance and serendipitously running into my co-founder during that period of time uh, who had been very deep in the logistics space. And, uh, you know, the combination of his logistics background and my finance background really led to us um, 
germinating blue axe, uh, which is sort of a culmination of his experiences and my experiences where just the difficulty of, uh, of the space in terms of not only just moving goods, but also moving capital uh, and obtaining capital in the space, especially for small and medium-sized enterprises. Have you worked with a large corporate company before you, you know, when you left Stanford, did you join actually a larger company? I did. I, I spent a time at uh, Yahoo where I worked in a, a whole host of different um, uh, kind of uh, services while I was there. I worked in, they, early on when I first got there, interestingly enough, I'd worked on, they had, they had a small business uh, solution and, and group there where I uh, worked on one of the earlier small business uh, applications, which was um, uh, their version of uh, Yahoo Messenger, but for business. And uh, that led me, though, to work on a whole host of other services on the consumer side um, uh, and, and, and really gave me uh, a lot of the experiences on the product side uh, that led me to kind of uh, grow my own business eventually. So the idea of Blue X came or kind of, you know, grew as, you know, you met your co-founder, right? That's right. And, um, uh, you know, as I was saying, we serendipitously meet through mutual friends uh, because I was looking at more global applications of um, finance and specifically trade financing at the time. And uh, we, uh, we met through uh, mutual friends and, and ultimately uh, he was looking at uh, the digitalization of uh, the, you know, the, the, the logistics space and, and how it, it sort of sort of 20 years behind where it should have been at the time. Um, and I was looking at uh, really the application of, of uh, finance uh, to small to medium-sized enterprises globally and how uh, the, the, there was a huge gap in um, sort of the, the amount of financing that was provided to small businesses uh, uh, really around the world um, because of a lot of it had to do with just banks uh, underserving these enterprises. Um, and that, that's a typical story in the U United States, but it's a global one as well. Um, and, and that's what really interested me about um, uh, the trade finance space overall. So tell us briefly what BlueX does and what type of problem that you are solving. Right. So BlueX uh, came about um, where, where what we do is we connect and amplify uh, global trade by providing cash flow management to uh, importers, uh, specifically in the United States right now uh, in the global supply chain. So we serve these importers that have been underserved by, um, by banks and providing them with both um, payment terms like services for freight and cargo, as well as um, payments, um, expedited payments for, uh, for, for a number of their vendors, uh, specifically around um, the, uh, the logistics movement of their goods. So importers for you, what are they? Are they wholesalers, trading companies, brand owners? And, uh, and uh, you know, and, and what, are, what are the challenges that they face when they start maybe buying or sourcing from Asia? Yeah. Well, the story of the, the U.S. importer is one that has become front page news over the last couple of years with COVID. Um, you know, the difficulties that they faced uh, have been, you know, the, the movement of goods was one that um, has gotten all the headlines. But it's not just the movement of goods that these importers faced. 
They also face a number of different finance and payments issues as well. Um, you know, as freight prices increased uh, 10x, um, and uh, the the time in which their goods sat on the ocean, it just stretched the balance sheets of these importers significantly. And um, you know, the the typically where these importers would go is to banks to to help them. Um, and provide them with, uh, you know, financing services and payment services uh, to support their business. And typically, they're very much underserved uh, by by banks. They're just not the number one priority. I think if you're a very large importer, you'll get white glove experience from banks. But um, outside of that, this you know the small to medium sized businesses you know have to find um, their 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 solutions uh, elsewhere. Are you targeting uh, certain industries or or certain destination where they are for those importers? I, I guess many yeah. of them are buying from China, for example. And uh, and and do you, do you target specific sectors or industry or maybe some some type of pro- uh, some product categories? Yeah, this is a massive industry overall. Um, uh, so we've had to certainly uh, target our services appropriately. Um, we, we have uh, boots on the ground really in Asia and the United States. And so as a result of that, we focused in initially right now on um, the uh, Trans-Pacific uh, trade lane. So Asia to the United States and, and helping importers um, move goods between Asia and, and the U.S. And so that's that's where, you know, uh, my co-founder, uh, you know, had his uh, experiences um, and then you know, my, his experiences were in Asia, my experiences were in the United States. And so it, it really led us naturally to focus in, and it's one of the largest trade lanes in the world. And so that naturally led us to um, really focus in on that trade lane to, to start as a business. Um, and uh, and it, it really, you know, the type of business we're in does require, you know, their, their cross-border type transactions. And so having um, you know, having people and uh, experiences in those different regions uh, certainly helps uh, as the you know as we've grown the company overall. Do you help those importers just on the logistic part of it, or you also have them with their PO financing? So we help them on, on the cargo side as well. So we it's both okay. on the logistic side. So we provide. Um, logistics um, payment terms and uh, and then on the cargo side uh, we also we also provide you know a, a post shipment like uh, cargo um, uh, solution as well okay so you try so you currently um, basically competing with some of the banks in the US as you say which are not supporting well enough the SMEs uh, on, yeah. on what they call their, their supply chain financing solutions right Correct. I, I think, you know, you, you look at the larger banks out there that provide these types of services. You've got the HSBCs of the world and the standard yeah. charter, and they provide services to large importers, and they've done a fantastic job of that, and uh, they're very good at it. I think it's the the small to medium size um, enterprises and importers that, um, you know, that, that have been underserved. Um, and I think that, you know, I, I the last business that I, that I started, we, we you know, uh, and and w- I was one of the earlier fintech entrepreneurs in the U.S. Um, we really focused in on the small to medium sized business uh, because of the very same reason uh, in the U.S. that they were underserved by banks, and 
And as a result, you know, if you applied um, technology and uh, data, you were able to, um, you know, assess the credit situations of, of these businesses um, much, uh, uh, you know, with, with, with much less cost and, and a, a higher degree of efficiency and, and potentially um, understanding the risks even better. And so, um, you know, we took those same types of, um, uh, you know, thinking and, uh, you know, really applied them more on a global scale. And that's, you know, really the, the germination of, of BlueX is, is really thinking through, you know, the digitalization of this uh, is, is, uh, is taking form and taking shape. Um, the data pools on both sides of the ocean are taking shape. And um, we're really leading the charge in terms of assessing those um, businesses from a uh, from a risk perspective and a transactional based perspective, and then and then being able to plot, apply these technologies um, to better serve these uh, these companies overall. Are you saying that those banks, uh, which are again not not really supporting those uh, small businesses, uh, have a very lengthy and tedious process where they? As, you know, look at uh, those companies and probably the application takes too long and, 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 and those importers don't get the amount that they expect to have. What are the issues? Where, where are the, are those banks failing exactly? Yeah, the, the banks, um, well, firstly, the, 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 these businesses, they, um, you know, they, they, if these businesses do come to, to banks, um, they, you know, sort of the extensions of, of um, you know working capital or whatever types of financing that those banks are applying for, um, they get declined on on a, on a mass scale, right? So uh, the percentages is you know over half of those types of businesses, um, you know, immediately will sort of get declined uh, on on these types of um, uh, financings. So I think that uh, first and foremost is that there's also the length of of the those applications and and um, uh, which actually takes significant amount of time and effort on the company's part, and both of those, you know, are, um, you know, are, are, are can be more, much more efficient, uh, and the risks can be evaluated much, uh, much better when you apply um, not just, uh, you know, information that's available from a um, credit perspective, but also from an industry perspective, and and so I think that that uh, and those are things that we're able to do. Um, because of the experience that uh, you know we, we've had in the industry and um, and uh, the institutional knowledge that we've gained um, by being in, in the logistics industry um, since we started this business. Take us through a typical process of application. If, you know, I'm an SME. I'm, I'm buying sourcing product from China. I need help. And so, what do I do? And how does that work on BlueX? Yeah, it, on BlueX, it's you know what we do is. Um, uh, you know, uh, we typically will, uh, a customer will come to us, um, you know, uh, post-shipment or, uh, you know, as they've gone and, uh, you know, and uh, uh, or have, a, have an invoice of, uh, for freight uh, from their, uh, you know, from the carrier and um, uh, we'll, we'll act as uh, sort of that intermediary um, where we'll, we'll take in those invoices, um, we'll, uh, actually evaluate the customer from a risk perspective, um, and then uh, we'll, we'll service those um, invoices, um, providing those customers with sort of more time to pay um, on a net 30 to 60 day basis. So effectively what we provide 
um, those customers as a payment terms product and, um, and provide them with um, effectively more time to pay. Uh, it's a, uh, on the freight side, uh, it looks very similar on the freight side as it does on the cargo side. Um, but uh, uh, effectively, like you said, we, we take those invoices and, and then um, we actually pay the, uh, the vendor 100% of the value of that. And then the customer pays us net 30 to 60 days later. Okay. And how much are you uh, charging for that service? So the, the, the rates on that we're charging today end up generally being, um, uh, it ends up being somewhere about 1%. Um, our handling fee is about 1% of, uh, vary from 1% to, um, to 3% of the invoice amount, depending on the, the size and the, the, um, uh, and depending on the, 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 the invoice amount overall. Okay, and are you cheaper uh, than the, the traditional banks in the U.S.? Well, I guess the uh, the the question with um, cheaper is more a question of, of of whether or not it's even available to the the businesses, right? Yeah, so I think yeah, that, I guess um, so. It, it's it you can't compare apples and oranges if the banks don't actually provide the service. Uh, so I think that when when we look at our service and uh, and the value that we provide to our customers. Um, you know, it's uh, uh, it's it, we're, we're we're valuing sort of our service based off of of um, you know the value that we provide to our customers overall. Okay, but you're not a shock loan uh, <laughs> vendor, right? You're not no, you know, so charging it, it, outrageous yeah. rates. Yeah. So yeah. these are. Uh, I think that if you look at the rates that are in the industry today, um, well, we're very much uh, you know a very competitive. Um, solution in the marketplace today, for sure. Yeah. Okay. If you look at other technology vendors, do, do you do you, do you have any competitors? What will be your, you know, your main competitor in the market right now? Yeah, I think that uh, our competitors are going to be, um, uh, like I said, are the banks uh, that yeah. uh, we'd be competing against. I think those are the main competitors that we have today. And. Um, uh, because those so, banks are also building solutions, right? They also d- try to digitize uh, their operation and the way they process clients, right? That's so, right. I think there's yeah. enormous, uh, there's there's very large, um, you know, initiatives going on um, sponsored by banks on things like letters of credit and blockchain letters of credit and and, and those types of services that are that are. Uh, emerging um they're being uh really positioned around not just large enterprises but also small to medium-sized enterprises as well those would be the the technologies and the the, the that that we would be competing against uh, overall is this a threat for you or a potentially an opportunity for you to uh, to be bought out by one of those banks I think that the you know the time will tell in terms of how well they're able to apply um, their services um, to this problem. Uh, I think that you know the the, the problem is a is a, is a tricky one and it's difficult. And so um, c- because it takes not only fantastic um, product uh, but uh, fantastic people and operations. And so you need to have all three and a huge knowledge of of, of the industry. And I think that um, what's great about you know, working on a startup is that, you know, you can, uh, you can be super nimble about approaching the problem and addressing the problems of those customers 
and and uh, and, and and certainly, um, you know, the the problem set, you know, really hasn't, you know, it's been around for a very long time. It's just it hasn't been tackled um, certainly by. Uh, you know, more small to medium size uh, or startup enterprises because, you know, it is a difficult problem. It, it takes enormous amount of uh, financial uh, know-how as well as knowledge of the industry and the logistics industry uh, itself, um, which lends itself to, you know, um, uh, you know, you, you kind of, you need to know, you know, you need to have a lot of knowledge in, in several different areas. Now, I think from a bank perspective, um, certainly the, the solutions that they're building, they're, they're trying to tackle the problem in a, in a large scale way. And, but I, like I say, it's, uh, I think that, um, you know, time will tell in terms of how, uh, how they're able to address the needs of the small to medium size enterprises more who have needs that are, um, you know, uh, that are of, uh, a smaller nature and, but, um, more timely as well. Uh, and so I think that, you know, where, um, where our business is really focused on is being able to um, be very nimble with our customers, uh, service them in a rich way, and then being able to um, uh, to to pull together a solution from a product, process, and operation perspective that you know really provides uh, a, a really fantastic and aha moment for the customer. Mm. Let's let's talk about uh, your your founding stage, and maybe we. Before we talk about this, I wanted to understand how you actually started the business. You know, some of us are listening and are always quite interested about this. Did you actually bootstrap? Did you raise capital right from the start? And what is your current funding stage right now? Yeah, we're a venture-funded company. Um, we're institutionally funded by uh, two of the larger uh, kind of top-tier venture firms. One's Greycroft in the U.S., another one's Headline in Asia, um, I, you know, I, I've started up a number of different um, uh, venture-based businesses uh, in my career. Uh, I, I feel, uh, you know, they're what I love about these businesses is, um, you know, the impacts that we can have on the overall, um, you know, category that we're building. Um, and it's really, uh, you know, I, I, I get one of the things that I, I love is, is, you know, Building large-scale solutions, tackling large problems, um, working with fantastic teams to do that, and and those all uh, you know are helped uh, through sort of uh, venture-founded uh, companies. I think you know we um, you know you don't uh, at the very beginning we I certainly went out to sort of build uh, and, and and tackle a large problem, um, and these types of problems really because they're so large in nature do require. Uh, you know, venture type funding to kind of get them off the ground because the, the problem sets are large um, and, uh, you know, it takes a number of different disciplines pulled together to actually go execute against uh, the, these problems. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so that's, uh, so we started out right from the beginning um, looking at this as a, as a venture funded uh, opportunity. What is your current stage right now? Are you looking for a new round? Are you looking to raise a, uh, amount? Yeah, no, we've, uh, we'll be looking at raising uh, around uh, at the beginning of next year. I think we've had some, um, some very good success over this past year um, growing our business. And, um, and, uh, and that, that 
you know, the timing of which uh, will lead us to, to looking for uh, additional uh, financing will really kick that off at the beginning of next year. Okay. Let's talk about your team. Um, how many employees do you have? How many engineers? Um, you know, so I understand you don't have co-founders, right? Uh, but is that something that you are interested in as well? So we have uh, 34 full-time employees, um, 18 development Uh I, uh, my co-founder, uh, you know, as I meant, mentioned, you know, we uh, we started this business back in the beginning of 2019, uh, really prior to to COVID, and uh, you know, we'd seen the problems that were going on in in the logistics space and uh, in, in the finance area of the logistics space, you know, really. Uh, early on and prior to COVID, um, COVID really just accelerated things. But I think uh, we, we we both got excited about the space um, because it really the, the the problems involved in um, in, in in what uh, my co-founder yeah. is is uh, uh, you know in the space overall, and then um, me from the trade financing trade financing area. So you only have, you still only have one co-founder, right? In in your in your that's team. correct. That's yeah. correct. Okay. All right. And in terms of development, you uh, you know, do you uh, mainly develop your product, your solutions in Asia, or do you have a mix of engineer both in the U.S. and here? You know, we locate all all our development is in Asia right now. Okay. Um, our sales and marketing uh, right now is in the U.S. Um, as because our our main customer right now are the U.S. U.S. based, yeah. And yeah. so, um, you know, I spend a significant amount of my time in both places, um, uh, working directly with the team in, in Asia, but also uh, directly with the team in, in the U.S. What we found uh, for the business that we're building is that you do need presence in both uh, areas because we work with, while our customers like the importers are in the U.S., their vendors, um, a significant portion of them are in Asia, uh, the factories being in Asia. Um, a number of the different, uh, uh, you know, logistics vendors are in Asia. And so um, it helps for us to be able to have, um, uh, to be in both of these time zones and to be able to service um, uh, both uh, both stakeholders on our platform. How do you market your solutions of BlueX solutions to you uh, SMB customers in the U.S.? How do you, you know, promote it and engage and, and get your customers here. Yeah. yeah, the the logistics space is is really a sales uh, driven space. Um, I think that uh, what, what I found, you know, you know, you, a lot of times in startups, you talk about are you, are you a product driven company or a sales driven company, and um, you know, in a product driven company, you kind of can build a product and um, and uh, maybe do some online marketing, and customers will come uh, uh, and 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 uh, and if you build a great product and they love it, you know they'll keep coming back for more. I think with yeah. the logistics space, especially the customers that we're dealing with, and it being an enterprise B two B sale, it's really a, a sales driven type of sale, right? So we um, we have a sales team in the US who directly engages with the customer, um, white gloves the transactions. Um, now the customers will come, you know, once, once we've been able to white glove them, then, you know, ultimately, and, and they see the value in the, and, and gain that aha moment of the value that we provide to the customer, then I think, uh, you know, from there that uh, the customer can continually engage with our product with, which, with less and less 
uh, touch points with our with our um, uh, relationship team. But um, but initially, it's a it's a really a, a sales driven type of sale uh, for us. So you know, so promotion is not enough. You need to follow up, and you know, and basically you know, uh, continue talking to them. Uh, but you know, I was interested because there are probably millions of SMEs in the U.S. right now. So how do you go around, uh, you know, profiling and identifying, you know, your best prospects among yeah. all those companies? Yeah. Well, I think you know, um, certainly narrowing the field by importers has, has helped us a lot. There's you know over you know two hundred thousand type of importers in the U.S., and then you can start narrowing that down to the size and then you know the the amount of uh, container movements that they have, and and certainly addressing specific um, customers within. Uh, you know, we can continually narrow that down as we. Um, you know, as, uh, as, as we see, uh, uh, you know, different types of customers engaging deeper within our product. And I think that we were super data driven at our company. One of the things that, you know, is a, uh, is one of the, uh, sort of key tenants of when we built the company was to be data driven about our, um, customers and our, and our decisions. And, um, and so we certainly watch, uh, and, and which customers are engaging deeper with our product and how they are and how we can help improve the situation around them. Um, but, but ultimately, yeah, the customers that, uh, and how we identify them overall is, is going to be very data driven. Um, and, uh, and, and not only in how we identify them, but how we actually service them better over time. Yeah. I guess there's a number of databases in the U.S., like the custom database or, there's also an SMB database that you can tap into, right? To, sure. to profile, yeah, yeah. Sure, yeah, and I, I think that uh, that that certainly that certainly helps. I think the how you engage uh, and, and address the customer's needs. I think there's a whole slew of different distribution techniques that you can employ to kind of get uh, you know uh, both introduced to the customer and then engage with the customer. I think that you know beyond just direct sales, um, there's partner engagements, there's integrations with specific types of partnerships, and that you can have that that you know service customers that uh, uh, you know through one mechanism where you know we can be just a payment option, uh, uh, and and that's one of the areas that we're exploring as well, which is providing our services more as as a payment option on third-party platforms. Okay, what has been the impact of the pandemic on your business? Well, it's it really is uh, continually accelerated the the speed at, and, and the growth of, of our business. I think what um, what 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 happened as the pandemic uh, grew over the course of the last several years, um, initially freight costs jumped significantly, uh, and then you know the, the travel times of the containers uh, increased, and that all stressed. The, and stretched the balance sheet needs of um, of our customer sets of our of the importers in the U.S. and um, and, and as a result of that, it, it increased their need uh, to to find the right partners to um, to help you know them as they navigated mm. uh, uh, the you know the the logistics space overall. And that's where we come in, and we you know we work directly with our customers and we help them um, in terms of. Uh, um, providing them with those payment terms and and then being able to to help 
uh, navigate that and and uh, and engage them in a way that, that provides them those types of terms over and over again as they you know hit peak periods or 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 you know need more time to pay specifically as they're they're growing you know and the types of customers that work with us best are growing businesses that maybe you know have peak periods of a volume where um, their balance sheet stress uh, stretch in a certain way that um, requires them to kind of uh, seek additional um, terms uh, during those periods. And, and that's where we help out best with those customers. Okay. So shipping price are coming down a bit, uh, but there are over potential risk around inflation, uh, the ongoing zero COVID policy in China. What what kind of other issues or, you know, whatever issues that you you think are still going to be, you know, a major disruptor uh, for those importers in the U.S. Uh, moving forward and, uh, you know, getting closer to you know, 2023 now? Yeah. What what I have uh, seen over the last several years is that uh, within logistics, you can't necessarily pinpoint what's going to happen. But what I could tell you is that there's probably going to be a lot of volatility. And when there's volatility in the system, that really drives the need for our product with our customers, right? Uh, increased volatility means increased uncertainty. Um, it also means, you know, potentially uh, uh, changes in prices, uh, changes in, in, in shipping times. And all of those actually, um, all that uncertainty uh, drives the need, to, you know, for our customer sets uh, to, to look for solutions to help them um, during those, uh, during that volatility. And so um, I don't, you know, if you look at a crystal ball and say, what will happen over the next year? Um, Nobody not knows. Ball. But what I will tell you is most yeah. likely there's going to be volatility. <laughs> and that volatility sure. will lead to uh, <laughs> the need for our product. Uh, and because that's specifically where we help best is during those volatile periods. As a CEO of, uh, of BlueX, what will you say are your biggest challenge in managing the business right now? Well, you know, in, in these, uh, for, for us, we have a, a couple of different areas as a, as a growth company. You know, I would say the number one uh, issue for us is really going to be people. Um, it, it really is getting great people on board, uh, helping to solve the problem. Uh, for our customers uh, is always going to be one of the, our, our, our chief areas of, of, uh, um, uh, of really um, finding the right people to, to, to help us kind of uh, uh, execute against our vision. But it, it got easier, point. right? With the pandemic, you are now able to pretty much work with remote teams and, and have great talents regardless of allocation, right? So the pandemic has been helping on this, right? It's 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 interesting. That's right. I feel like uh, that uh, the the aperture of the of uh, you know how you look for your um you you know your you know the people you work with is increased significantly because of that. Um, it's also brought about new challenges for organizations as they as they grow uh, as well because you know trying to be remote first. Uh, I think we, you know, as a as an earlier stage company, um, you know, thinking about being a remote first company uh, was something that was all already a part of our uh, uh, experience because we, you know, it, right from the get go, we had um, people both in the U.S. and in Asia, and so we had to yeah. grow as an organization as as a as a uh, remote first company, um, and that's only led us to kind of really think about how we 
we grow our organization. It, you know, I think that finding great people around the world is, um, is, uh, uh, is still difficult though. I think that, you know, no matter what we're, you know, as you're growing, um, finding the right people for the, for the right problem sets is, uh, you know, you need to take the time and the effort and, and, uh, and, and really have a culture that people around the world, you know, gravitate towards. And, yeah. and certainly spent time doing that. And, uh, you know, we, we recently did, <laughs> we, we recently did, did get an award for one of the best places to work in Asia, um, last year. Uh, and I, and I, you know, I'm proud of that because we were able to, um, uh, you know, not only, uh, get an award for, uh, that's really driven from the experience of our people, but it's, uh, you know, uh, I, I think, uh, we're proud of that because of, uh, um, uh, you know, because we've been a remote first company as well. Yeah. Okay. How do you see your company uh, uh, in three to five years from now? Where do you want to be? We want to be the category leader uh, in in thinking about um, you know cash flow management for uh, uh, for the the the, the um, supply chain and specifically for you know importers. Um, I think that, uh, you know, where we're spending our time and thinking through and, and servicing customers is really on that problem. And I think that, you know, ultimately, um, if we achieve that goal, we'll be solving a, a massive, um, you know, uh, problem uh, today. I think, you know, if you look at the overall, uh, you know, if you think of the financing gap globally, for trade financing, there's a well-quoted number of you know 1.7 trillion dollars in, in trade financing gap um, that's out there in the marketplace today. That's what we're focused in on helping to navigate. Um, the, the numbers are 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 huge when you start thinking about them overall. You, you look at just the United States. Um, the United States, you know, they import um, 2.3 trillion dollars worth of goods annually. Um, those are some of the latest numbers and, um, you know, a significant portion of that, uh, are small to medium sized enterprise importers. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And they're the ones who have this, uh, trade financing gap that, um, you know, that persists year, year over year. Um, yeah. and, and traditionally banks have underserved this because of the, the, you know, it takes a lot of effort, um, and and the reward for that typically for banks is much less than if they dealt with a larger size customer. Think of it: yeah. if you're you're doing the same amount of work to underwrite a um, two hundred thousand dollar transaction as you are a ten million dollar transaction, and so if you're a bank, you're going to do the ten million dollar transaction all day long. Um, and so what we're you know, the advantage that we're uh, applying to the, the situation is we're taking technology and data that's able to allow us to streamline that in a significant way and address this trade financing gap and, and really um, and do that in a way that um, is able to adjust for risk as well. Okay. Pretty clear. Okay, all good. All right. Um, maybe let's take, uh, yeah, maybe I'd like to ask you uh, that question and what would be your advice uh, to a new founder who's starting a company in the field of supply chain, uh, logistic or procurement, you know, learning from your mistakes that you made uh, previously? Well, I, I look at, uh, I've had a ton of experiences over my career. 
Um, but I go back to a lot of my experiences when, when I uh, was an athlete. I had a great coach in, in high school, and he used to tell me to uh, anticipate and run to where the ball is going to be um, and, and not to where uh, it is right now. And so I think, you know, as a startup, what you're always looking at doing is you're anticipating where the ball will be in a decade and, um, and you're adjusting your company uh, and, and your vision to that, um, but solving the problem right in front of you. And so I, I think that, uh, uh, you know, for any startup founder, it's, it's uh, you know, it's, it's really that. Know, know where things are going to go in 10 years, but, you know, look at the problems right in front of you and know how those problems set up uh, to solve the larger problem overall. Learn to anticipate and project yourself in the coming years, right? With a solution right. that you offer. Okay. All right. Some quick fire questions for you. Uh, and you can just be, uh, just give me a one answer for each. Uh, cats or dogs? Cats. <laughs> <laughs> Window or aisle? Aisle. What one of your favorite movie you've seen recently? The movie what comes to your mind right now? Oh, Top Gun. Okay. What is your favorite sandwich? Oh, right now I don't have a favorite sandwich. <laughs> What's your most used app on your phone? The one that you use every day, all day long? Google Maps. Google Maps, really? You're trying to find your way all the time. Well, I'm moving so much, you know, we're traveling and, and, uh, okay. uh you know, visiting, uh, different, different partners and yeah. Investors. Okay. Yeah. Google maps. Yeah. When he walks, because you know, if you, if you're in China, you have issues with that. Um, what's your favorite tool to build your company? Software tool that you're using yeah, every I, day with your team. I think, you know, there's a, I would put, uh, probably Slack up there very highly. Um, it's, okay. it's really transformed a lot of the, the, the way we communicate. Describe the rest of your life in three to five words. When you get old, what do you want to be? What do you want to do? Well, I, I'd say a man for others. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. It was great talking to you. Uh, very interesting product uh, with BlueX. And uh, yeah, you guys are definitely... Uh, doing some great stuff around supply chain financing. So uh, we wish you all the best, yeah. Max, appreciate it. Thanks for your time. Okay, thanks again for joining us. Uh, so uh, that's it for our Chantech episode. Again, we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you, Max. 